Let's turn again now to read the Word of God in the Old Testament and in the prophecy of Isaiah and in chapter 41. And we're going to read at verse 25 into the beginning of chapter 42. Isaiah 41 and at verse 25. I stood up one from the north and he has come. From the rising of the sun he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads clay. Who declared from the beginning that we might know, and beforehand that we might say, He is right? There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. I was the first to say to Simon, Behold, here they are, and I gave to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is no one. Among these, there is no counsellor. Who, when I ask, gives an answer. Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. In a faintly burning wick he will not quench, he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Amen. This is God's word, and we trust that you are blessed to us that reading from it. And we're going to focus particularly today on the first four verses of uh, chapter 42, beginning with Behold, my servant whom I uphold. And we'll return to the theme that we considered together last week, and that is that the world in which we do live it is chaotic, it is confused, and it is full of conflict. And as we reflect on our world, we are so apt to be concerned that the world is on a path of destruction, that there is no hope for the world. And we saw the way in which Isaiah was writing these words, speaking to our people who themselves were going into a great crisis. And in the midst of that crisis, they themselves were going to come to conclusions that God was not in control and that God had left them and abandoned them. And when we go back as far as chapter 40 and verse 17, we see the way there in which the people were actually saying that their way was hidden from the Lord and that their rights were disregarded by God. They felt completely abandoned. They felt completely alone. And in chapter 41 and verse 8, we saw the way in which God encouraged the people by reminding them who they were, what God had done for them, 
and what God had promised to do for them in the future. It was really important for them, as it is for ourselves, when you're looking for encouragement, to find something in our own hearts that God tells us that we have here because of his purpose, because of his love, and because of his desire to save us. But we have to see in this passage, and we all of us have to see that there is something more important lying behind the encouragement that we have in our own hearts, something more important that is the source of that encouragement, and that is that there is a Savior, that there is the Lord Jesus Christ, and from him comes all of the encouragement. And so at the beginning of this chapter, the writer Isaiah and prophesying, he wants to lift their attention away from where they are, away from who they are, and to raise their thinking to think about this special person that he is now introducing onto the scene. And that's the, the picture we are looking for today, that wherever we are, whatever the chaos, whatever the confusion, whatever the conflict that there is introduced to us by the gospel, by the word of God, the whole reality of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And here in this passage, he is named as the servant of God. And so today I want to, to look at these words and to keep the crisis in the back of our minds and to think of the Christ-centered encouragement that we find in these words. But to notice, first of all, that we have a deliverer. And the deliverer is introduced to us by the Lord himself, who is here speaking about this special person. Behold my servant. We see at the end of the previous chapter that when they're asked to look for someone who would help them to look for a counsellor, there is no one there. Amongst the, the masses of this people, let's imagine the crowd, of this great gathering, listening to the word of God. Is there someone among you who can be a counsellor, who can be your deliverer? And nobody emerges from the crowd. There is no one there. They are hopeless and they are helpless and they can do nothing to help themselves and no one around them can help them either. And now God is saying to them, Behold, pay attention to my servant, the servant that I am honouring for a particular task. When we follow the story of the people of God in the Old Testament, we read of servants of God, key people who have a key role in the work of God's salvation. We see that Abraham is the servant of God, and God promised him great things. Paul says that he heard the gospel first. The priority given to Abraham, he is the servant of the Lord. We see Moses, in a special way, the servant of the Lord, who was going to take the people of God out of the land of Egypt. We see King David, we sang of something of him, Psalm 89. We read further on in that psalm, he was the chosen one of God. He was the servant of God. He was raised up among the people. God strengthened him. Key people, given the special relationship with God, my servant. 
And today we are asked to, to look away from ourselves and to, to think that now here is the key person that God has chosen for himself, set apart in the gospel. When I go to Matthew chapter 12, I read these verses quoted by Matthew in his gospel. Them being fulfilled when Jesus is speaking to the crowd. Let's be clear that this servant is the Lord Jesus Christ who speaks in the gospels and who goes on to give his life on Calvary's cross. Behold my servant. And one of the interesting things about the servant is that the people that he's going to save are also called my servant by the Lord. And that may be confusing. But in actual fact, it's so helpful. Because this special servant of God, who is coming to save the people of God, he has to, be, he has to come from among the people. If he doesn't do that, he cannot save them. He has to come from God, because only if he comes from God can he save them. So he has to be from them. He has to be distinct from them. He has to be apart from them, but he can be their representative. And when we read the story of Jesus in the New Testament, what, what do we read about him? We, we, we read in, in Philippians chapter 2, he was in the form of God, nothing less than God. He made himself nothing. He took upon him the form of a servant and lived like that in the world. There is a transaction, a decision, a choice that lies behind this whole statement when Isaiah saying, Behold my servant. And there is a looking at him, there is a choosing, there is a selecting, there is a resting in this figure because he is unique. And that's why God told Isaiah in chapter 7, you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's why you shall call him in, 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 chapter, in chapter 9. He is a wonderful counselor. He is the eternal father. He is the prince of peace. He is the mighty God. God becoming a servant for God. As the son of God comes into the world to live in our world so that from our world, he can rescue and deliver us. And the Lord goes on to, to speak of the way in which this servant is special. Whom I uphold, whom I hold in my hand. We'll read further on the, the way in which God is speaking to the servant. And he says in verse 6, I will take you by the hand and keep you. That the Son of God is coming into our world as a servant of God and that he is dependent on being kept by God the Father. I will uphold him in the palm of my hand. I will take him by the hand. What a beautiful image of this loving servant. Like a father takes the child by the hand and takes the child on a journey to keep the child safe, ensure a safe arrival at the destination. So I see the servant who is the Son of God, who is the Lord Jesus. I see him in the world. And in this invisible way, every step that he takes, 
Father is taking him by the hand. And in his prayerfulness and his dependence upon God, this is worked out in his life day by day, step by step. No one can pluck him out of the Father's hand. He is secure, he is safe as the servant. He is the chosen one in whom my soul delights. He is elected by God. And as surely as the servant is set apart by God in particular ways at particular times for his own salvation, for his own purposes, so that servant is chosen, set apart for a particular work. Here is a deliverer who is the servant of God, who is upheld by God, who is chosen by God, and whom God's soul delights. And we have the the marvel of the beauty of the way in which the whole of the being of God, as his eyes follow his son from the time he comes into the world, taking the form of a servant in the manger at Bethlehem, every step that he takes, that God's eye is upon him as well as holding his hand. And in every step that he does take, he is his delight. There is a sense of of joy and fulfillment, a sense of harmony, a sense of all of the beautiful things that we can think of with regard to a special relationship. Here it is in the relationship between God and his servant, the deliverer, in whom my soul delights. And I I go to to Jesus when he comes to John to be baptized in the Jordan. And having been baptized, the heavens open and the Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove and the voice that comes from the lips of God, if we can think of the lips of God, that reflect what is in the heart of God. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The voice of heaven for the benefit of the world that we will know that Jesus is special in the eyes of the Father. That we will know that Jesus is the one who is sent here by God to be the deliverer. And so today we are brought in looking for encouragement. Whatever personal crisis is, whatever crisis we find in the world, here our attention, our focus falls upon the Son of God, who is the servant of God, in whom my soul delights. What do we think of him? He is, in the eyes of God, the most beautiful person ever. What is he to you and to me? What do we think of him? Later on in in this prophecy, we'll see in chapter 53 that he was like a root out of dry ground. People would just look at him and just walk away and, and trample over it. He was nothing. But for God, he is God's delight. And what is he today for you and for me? The deliverer. Secondly, 
there is a deliverance. The deliverer has come for deliverance. And he has come for deliverance and in order for him to be, uh, be able to complete that deliverance, we read again in verse 1, I have put my spirit upon him. We don't send anyone to complete a task unless they're equipped for that task. We give them the tools, we give them the knowledge, we give them the training, we prepare them for the task, and then they can go and engage in that task. Whether it's engineering, whether it's technology, whatever it is, we need training, we need preparation, we need the tools, and then we can carry out the task. And here the preparation of the servant is that God is saying, I have put my spirit upon him. The Holy Spirit of God is upon the Lord Jesus and in, in order to enable him to complete his task. The Spirit of God comes upon David so that he can be king of Israel. But especially, we can think of a man called Bezalel. And God told Moses that this man was going to build the tabernacle with all of the beauty of the detail that God had given to Moses. And in order for him to be able to complete that task, God said to Moses that he will be filled with the Spirit of the Lord, and because of that, he will have ability, he will have intelligence, he will have knowledge, he will have wisdom, he will have everything that he needs. And we transfer that whole idea of, of empowering, of preparing, of equipping, and we bring that to the servant who is given the same spirit of God to enable him to move into his work and to know that he has the ability, the intelligence, the knowledge, the wisdom. He has everything necessary in order to carry out the work of deliverance. I have put my spirit upon him. And later on, as we, as we read the letter to the Hebrews, for example, we read there that, that in chapter 9 that Jesus was the one who, who gave himself up, sacrificed himself through the Holy Spirit, the eternal Spirit, without blemish to God. And the fact of the matter is that no human being can carry out any service for God without the help of the Spirit of God. And Jesus became man. The Son of God became man. And he himself needed to be the same empowering. And we see it as he, as he is baptized at Jordan. He goes into the, the wilderness to be tested, uh, led by the Spirit of God. He then goes to begin this ministry filled with the Spirit of God, he embarks on his ministry and on his mission. He is empowered for the deliverance. And having been empowered, he will bring forth justice to the nations. What a wonderful mission. Justice to the nations. To remove all injustices in the world. We all have 
rights within personal relationships. We have rights within community relationships. We have our rights, we have our human rights, we have expectations, we have rights within our relationships with each other. Justice is done when we enjoy our rights, when we all enjoy our rights together. I look across our world and where do we see that? We see so much injustice and we see in the midst of of conflict and war this very problem of injustice no one is receiving their rights in relationships with other people and with other nations injustices and this unique deliverer is coming with a deliverance that addresses that whole problem and at the same time addresses the greatest injustice of all that God does not get what he deserves from humankind in his world. That we have sinned against God. We are denying him his rights. There is so much injustice in our relationship with God. We cannot do anything about it. No one else can do anything about it for us. And so we we see that the the work of, of the servant He is coming to address all of these things, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, the relationships of peoples and nations in the world, to establish justice in a broken world. Hallelujah. What a deliverance. And here we understand that he's going to bring forth justice. In other words, as God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, so this great servant, he is going to bring forth justice to the nations. He is taking it from a particular place, from a particular source. And where today in in our Bibles are we going to find where this great deliverer goes to a place from which he brings forth the justice that we need personally and that the world needs? And this prophecy itself will bring us to chapter 53. Chapter 53 brings us to the servant who comes to the cross at Calvary to bear the sins of the world. And he becomes the servant who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as he he hangs on, on Calvary's cross, I will give you as a covenant to the people And when I see Jesus suffering, the righteous for the unrighteous, establishing justice for me with my God and for you with your God and for the nations of the world with each other and with God, I see that in establishing justice. He suffers the greatest of all injustices. As not only at the, at the hands of the sinful people who nailed him to the cross and caused him to be suspended between heaven and earth, the injustice of the people who nailed him to that cross. But there is the great injustice in the way in which he received from God what he did not deserve himself. He became the object of God's wrath. 
How just is that? It's an interesting question. But the fact is that he suffered the great injustice of experiencing the wrath of God when in himself he deserved nothing but the delight of God and the love of God. And when he cries out on the cross at Calvary, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the nerve center of that injustice. And it is the point at which or from which he brings forth the justice for the nations. He goes to Calvary's cross. He goes there for the people of God, but he goes there for the nations of the world. And Paul, in writing to the church in Ephesus, who had no right to belong to the original historical people of God, yet the gospel had come to them. And Paul is explaining to them with regard to, to the Lord Jesus, he himself is our peace. You are far away, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He is our peace who has broken down the, the middle wall of, of hostility. And so that now together the people are harmonized with each other. And so that in that harmony they both together have access by one spirit and to the Father. It's a, an international thing. It's a universal thing, as well as, as the personal. And this great deliverance is about proclaiming that Christ is for the world and proclaiming that the world is for Christ and in all of the world's brokenness that the, this proclamation of this great deliverance addresses the whole of the inhabitants of the earth that for us locally and for us nationally and for us internationally, let the world hear of this deliverance that resolves every bit of conflict and brokenness that there is in the world. A deliverer, unique. A deliverance, unique. And thirdly, a delivering the deliverance has to come home to me. Unless that happens, then what does it mean? But the vision of God and the purpose of God and the purpose of the servant is that he is coming also delivering a people from the injustice in the world. And when he comes to do so, that's what we read of in verses 2 to 3, he will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street when he was on the way to Calvary's cross he was gentle he told the disciples in, in Matthew 12 where this, these verses are quoted he told the disciples don't tell anyone who I am and where I'm going kings would normally come into the street proclaiming who they were announcing their own arrival but Jesus took the lowly approach as he went to the cross. But in particular, we want to think of the delivering as it comes to deliver a broken world. A bruised reed he will not break. Whatever is broken, 
He will not break it entirely. I mentioned in the children's address with regard to, to the stalks that grow in the marsh and, uh, and the way we can see that in places like uh, as we approach the, the Dalbeg beach and the way in which these stalks seem at some time to be so strong and yet once they bend over and they're lying in the water they, they are useless. They are next to dead if they are not dead. And this delivering of this great deliverer he comes to those who are so broken who are so close to death who are dead in the world and when he comes to, to see them and when he comes and sees them he doesn't pass them by he does not break instead of doing that he stands them up he gives them support and they begin to flourish once more in the wind. And today this delivering of, of people like you and like myself, this delivering is a delivering that comes to you in your absolute brokenness and in your absolute lostness and in your absolute darkness and from there the hand of the servant of this deliverer lifts you up and imparts to you all of the beauty of the grace that he has secured on the cross. He brings it from the cross, as it were, from the reservoir of his grace, and he gives it to you. The bruised reed, he will not break. How bruised do you feel? How broken do you feel? How lost do you, how, do you feel? Here is a delivering from this deliverer that will raise you up. And we, we, we think of, of the many who are, who are broken in, in, in places like Ukraine. The bruised reeds that fill that nation because of injustices. And this gospel, this message, is, this delivering is also for them. But he will not break. Instead of that, he will restore a faintly burning week he will not quench the older generation who will be familiar with the oil lamps in their homes would understand this so much better the faintly burning week stopped functioning it's, it's gone black it's a little bit of smoke it's no longer giving out light it's useless what can anyone do in order for this faintly burning wick, in order for it to give light? He will not quench it. He will not snuff it out completely. And sometimes we think that's what we are and that's where we are and that's what we deserve. That we'll be snuffed out and separated completely from the grace and the love of God as we have it in Christ in the gospel. What does the servant do. He will not quench it. Instead, he will clean it. He will take away everything that stops it from functioning. How beautiful a delivering that is. And once he has taken away everything that stops it from functioning, he puts it back in the oil so it starts burning brightly. And today, the encouragement that we have is that however much we 
are not light, however much we are not only in darkness, but however much we are darkness, that he has the ability and the grace and the love to clean away, to wash away our sin and to insert us in a life of love and of grace and from there to, to see us and to, to marvel and to rejoice as he sees our lives rebuilt and restored. He will not quench you. And in the gospel we see Jesus working like Come unto me all you who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Learn from me because I'm meek and lowly of heart. Anyone else that we would have wronged would come with anger and with judgment. But not so the Lord Jesus. It's meekness. It's love. It's quietness. It's peace. It's all such a beautiful delivering. When it comes locally home, to us personally, but also it must come home to the nations of the world. He does this personally, and then he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Look at that vision. He's going to establish justice not only in our hearts and in our relationships with, with him and with each other, but in the nations of the world. And we can rightly ask, how can he do that? How is that possible? We look across the world and it's got impossibility written all over it, humanly speaking. I cannot, you cannot, no one can. Everybody is at their wood's end because they cannot do anything to solve the injustices in the world. And yet this delivering that we read of here is one through which this deliverer is going to establish justice and look how he's going to achieve it. The coastlands wait for his law. What does that mean? It means that he is going to change people's hearts so that his greatest enemies are going to be open to his appearing and to his arriving. We read in Psalm 130 that the psalmist waits for the Lord as those who, who wait for the breaking of the day, longing to, to see the Lord and to know the Lord. And that, that's what we have here. Such is the, the power of, of this deliverer and the deliverance that he is delivering to the nations of the world, that he changes people's hearts like he does our own. And that the greatest enemies and, and dictators in the world, that, that he can change their hearts in a moment. And that the gospel can cross boundaries and barriers. And that those who, who once not only rejected the gospel, but opposed it vehemently, become nations that wait for his law, for his gospel, and that long for his appearing. The crisis and the Christ-centered encouragement. We go today for our own encouragement to listen to 
the account that we have of this deliverer. We go with our concerns for our world and for our society and we bring them all to the place where we have here the answer, the only solution and with the certainty that this is the God who establishes justice and no one can stand in his way. No dictator, no enemy, no person, no matter how powerful, he will make his way and he will change the world. And then at last, as we'll sing our last psalm, righteousness will cover the earth. All the peoples of it will rejoice together. Until we pray for that kind of peace within ourselves and for that kind of peace in our world and for the glory of the servant of God, of the Son of God, to be established and firmly shine across the nations of this world. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, how great a God you are, that you can resolve all the problems that our sin have created down to the ages of this world, and that you have done so through the marvellous provision of your Son who became your servant to establish your plans and purposes for this world and in this world. We rejoice today in such a salvation. We pray that it may be personally precious to us and we pray that we may be prayerfully engaged with you so that it may become personally precious to all those around us and to the nations of this earth in the world in which we live. So bless your word, we pray, and hear us. Having mercy, we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. So the closing psalm is Psalm 
stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>